0: he's got to melt it. Sometimes things are not going to look exactly the way that we want them to in life, but Jesus is doing something there, and we believe that he's making something beautiful out of every single one of us. That's why we're calling this The Beautiful Way. We're working through Jesus's teaching through Matthew 5 through 7. It's the famous Sermon on the Mount, uh, maybe the most famous of Jesus's teachings, but definitely the least understood, and and perhaps the least obeyed as well, because it's hard This teaching in Matthew chapter 5, it's hard. Jesus teaches us this stuff partly because what he wanted to do is he wanted to change the world. And Jesus didn't want to just change the circumstances in the world. He wanted to change the people of the world. And so we've been looking at this for the past 13 weeks. Uh, and it's been an amazing journey. I don't know if you guys have enjoyed it. I know it's been crazy challenging for me because it's really unearthed a lot of stuff in me that I know Jesus wants to change. Because he wasn't, again, just out to change circumstances. He, he was out to change the people in his movement. And so he has, he's, got, he's got some stuff that's not easy for us to digest, but stuff that we need to hear. So uh, today we're going to begin a section where Jesus is going to start saying, You've heard it said at one point, but I'm going to tell you something different. Now, last week we learned that, uh, you know, as people were listening to Jesus and they're getting the sense that he's speaking with a new level of authority. This is 2,000 years ago. This really happens. Uh, and there's crazy evidence for this, uh, that what is written in here is actually what Jesus said. Uh, if you have questions about that, I'd love to explore that with you. But Jesus was not ever going against what God had already originally written prior to Jesus. In fact, what Jesus said, and you got to look it up, uh, and if you haven't listened to last week's message, maybe, maybe check that out. But what Jesus was, he, he came not to, to condemn the Old Testament, but he came to actually bring it to fruition. I heard one commentator say, man, if the Old Testament is like a, a seed or a bud on a flower, when Jesus came, Jesus made that whole thing come and bloom. So he didn't come to kind of say, that's, that's awful, let me contradict that. No, he's like, man, I'm coming to actually fulfill this thing and, and to help you understand what it originally meant and what it was originally intended for, what it, where it's going. So that's where we're going to go today. Jesus is going to contradict maybe some false interpretations of this. And if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 21. Um, but this is what we're going to look at. I love this. From here on out, Jesus is not going to let any one of us off the hook in religious abstraction. Jesus is going to get personal. <laughs> he's going to get concrete. And he's going to mess with you, okay? As he's been messing with me all week. He's not going to let any one of us kind of live this hypocritical religious Christian life he's going to dig right into the middle of it he's going to say hey I want to mess with something that maybe is cutting a little bit deeper than maybe you want to go Um, so that's where we're going to go and today what he's going to do is he's going to talk about how to repair broken relationships anybody ever had brokenness in a relationship before I mean if you've ever had tension ever you know things aren't quite right Maybe, I mean, for some of you, is that look that your spouse gave you this past week. Look, you know that icy stare? You know, we know that look, okay? We know things aren't right in that moment. Maybe... For some of you parents, like you've been wrestling with a kid all week and, you know, the, the battle between trying to help that kid out and then just like them giving you tons of sass and maybe you got a little, you know, angry at them or maybe a little bit harsher than you wanted to and you know things aren't quite right there. Maybe it's a work re- relationship, a, a tension with a boss or a coworker that's like something's not quite right there. I'm telling you, Jesus is going to give us an amazing set of tools today to know what to do to rebuild broken relationships. He's going to tell us three things, the need for relational repair, the tools for it, and then he's going to give us the ultimate motivator for why we should even think about doing this in the first place, all right? (laughs) Buckle up, because it's going to get crazy. All right, Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, here we go. You've heard it said, again, this is where Jesus begins, you heard it said one thing, I'm going to tell you something different. You've heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, how many said that this past week, shame on you, uh, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. All right, what's Jesus getting at here? There's some harsh language in here. We're talking about murder. We're talking about anger. We're talking about these insult words out there. And then he brings up this whole concept of hell into it. What is he talking about? Now, here's here's the reality. Again, Jesus is not contradicting something by saying, you know, what the Old Testament said. You've heard it said long ago. That's not true. He's actually bringing it to fruition. And what he brings up is actually a quote straight from the Ten Commandments. Whether you grew up in church or not, you're probably familiar with the Ten Commandments to one degree or another. And Jesus brings up uh, something in in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, where it it literally says, don't murder. This is a code that God gave to his people as they were leaving slavery out of 400 years of slavery. And he's given them a code to help them understand who they now are. And so one of the code rules there was, don't murder. (laughs) Pretty good rule, Right. Pretty good rule. I mean, I think that's a, that's a good one to live by. But Jesus is saying it's not enough. It's not enough to just think, don't murder someone. You see, this is what happened. Uh, back in the first century, the Jewish system had, uh, and this is wild, but the Roman, um, the Roman government allowed the Jews, even though they were under captivity in, in Roman rule, they allowed the Jews to have their own court system. And they called it the Sanhedrin. That's what, you know, we, we get the word court in the, 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 the updated NIV, but, but in the old NIV it actually talks about the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was a court system where Jews could actually uh, try, you know, various penalties and disputes and arguments and all the kind of stuff that went down. Like Jews could actually do that in their own court. And so what they were saying is that there's some things that can get you in trouble with the Jewish court and that the Jewish court is actually designed to help people not murder each other. Good thing. But Jesus is saying that's not enough. Because when Jesus said don't murder, when God said that way back, he actually meant it for a much bigger, a much deeper, a much more, much more gut-wrenching reason. Jesus is going to bring people right back to the why. Why did God do this in the first place? Now, if you've ever wondered, and I just feel like this is on our minds constantly these days. If you've ever wondered why someone would ever in their right mind... Walk into a synagogue, walk into a bar, walk into a church and just start shooting people. Why would they do that? I mean, it, it's, it's easy in my mind, like, it's easy in my mind to start categorizing some of those people as subhuman, you know? And I don't know about you guys, but it makes me angry every single time I hear it on the news and it just doesn't stop. We keep hearing it and keep hearing it. Like, I get angry every single time. And yet it still happens. But, but I, I can't help but ask, like, why? Why did someone, what happens inside someone that gets in that place? And it's easy for me to think, man, they're just chemically imbalanced or they're just awful people or evil. And, you know, just a category of some human. Jesus is saying we're actually not that far removed. We're, every single one of us in this room, we're not very far removed from anyone who would actually do that. And you're like, wait a minute, I would never walk into a school and do something like that. Well, let me tell you, what Jesus is telling us is that there's a root to that. There's a root to someone who would actually get up and murder somebody. And it starts with anger in your heart. Now, I just told you, I get angry at that stuff. Is that wrong? There's two different kinds of anger. And this is so important for us because there are some moments where you need to get angry. In fact, Jesus got stupid angry at one moment. Jesus, uh, he was walking into the temple. A temple was in, in the first century before Jesus. It was meant as a place for people to actually experience God, get right with God. And Jesus got really mad. In fact, he got so mad that he started flipping tables at one point, and he he made a whip, and he started threatening people inside the temple with a whip. I mean, could you imagine? It's like a pastor going postal on Sunday morning, okay? Like, wacky stuff, and people are, like, screaming and running out, and, like, you know, pandemonium. I'm not going to try to reenact that right now, because they'd be all over the Nashville news, and we would cease to exist as a church. Anyway, uh, Jesus did this. Why? Jesus did it because... There were some people who heard that folks were traveling for days to get to the temple and they didn't have the resources to actually put a sacrifice on sometimes you would have to sacrifice an animal you know a bird whatever it was and like people needed that they just didn't have it and so some people were like we can make a profit off of this and so they'd actually set up tables and be like hey you want a pigeon come on over here you know and they'd actually make a profit off of it then they and they would like they'd actually charge people higher than what they needed to and they were actually getting wealthy Jesus said, do you know what you're doing? You're putting a barrier between people and God. And I'm stupid mad about that. I'm telling you right now, there's some moments for me where I get angry, righteously so, when there are people who put a barrier, an unnecessary barrier between other people and God. I had a conversation with someone a week and a half ago who told me that when they walked into a church, this is over the past year, when they walked into a church they instantly got looks because they had tattoos on them that they were not welcome you're telling me that tattoos are your barrier between you and god i had another conversation two years ago when we first got here to nashua uh, a lady uh, who was married to this man and after having a couple kids the, the man was just like i'm out i don't want this anymore left and because he left and things weren't right her Catholic church at the time said, we can't give you communion anymore. You're going through this divorce process like you're no longer welcome here. This is a single mom in one of the most desperate hours of her life, not her fault. And the church said, that's on you. You're not welcome here anymore. And then they came back a couple weeks later and they said this. They said, oh, yeah, uh, we can get an annulment for you and you can come back, but it's going to cost you $5,000. What? There's a moment there where you got to flip some tables and you got to pull out a whip. And righteous anger tell them, you are putting an unnecessary, an unnecessary barrier between someone and God. Stop it. And I'm telling you, we're going to be a church right now and forever that's going to fight that stuff to the core. We're going to try to remove every single barrier possible so that people know that the love of God is for all people. Not just a select few that look like they have it all together on the outside. So we're going to strip that apart every single week by God's grace. So here's here's the reality. There's two different kinds of anger. There's some anger that is going to be righteous and good anger. And there's some evil anger. There's some anger where when we see sex trafficking and when we see drugs abusing people, where we should get angry. We should get angry. There's something inside of us that we should say that is wrong and I want to do something about it. But righteous anger leads you to do something good. Righteous anger is for restoration and redemption purposes. The kind of anger that Jesus is talking about in this, that's not righteous anger. It's evil anger. This is what he's getting at. Ready? This is the difference. In this passage it says, uh, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, what is that? <laughs> will be answerable to the, the court. Raka was an insult that basically, it was an Aramaic insult that said, uh, like, basically uh, empty-minded. It's insulting your intelligence, you know. We could get stuff like, you know, you dimwit, you moron, you idiot, something like that, you know. I don't, didn't know that you'd come to church and just hear a whole bunch of insults, all right. Oh, <laughs> well, you're welcome. Anyway, um, uh, look, that's what that's what raka means, and like apparently it could get you in trouble with the Jewish court. I didn't know that. Uh, we don't have the court that gets you in trouble for that nowadays. You can say whatever you want, all right. Uh, but Back then, it gets you in trouble with the court. Now, Jesus says you can get in trouble with the court on that one, but when you say you fool, you're in danger of the fire of hell. Why? Why? What Jesus is getting at there is that that word fool, it was actually written in the Old Testament, says that a fool is someone who says in their heart there is no God. In essence, when you, back then when you said you fool to someone, you basically said you're no good for God. You're going to be far from God. God hates you. You're destined for hell. Jesus said, you think that in your heart, and you're in danger of the fire of hell. That kind of judgment has no place, zero place in my kingdom. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, here's the crazy thing. Murder starts with that kind of anger in your heart towards somebody. You might not get out today, pull out a sledgehammer, and like, Actually kill somebody. Wow, that's really brutal. I don't even know why I thought about that. Anyway, you might not kill anybody today, but you can actually murder someone in your mind. You can't tell me that sometimes when you're on Route 3 and you're backed up and the traffic is nuts and then someone cuts you off and, and like, they had no reason to cut you off inside your mind, you're not thinking, man, I hope you crash." Look, maybe some of you are not as dark as I am on the road, okay? I know, but some of you are. I know you are. Anyway, uh, you can murder someone in your thoughts. I'm telling you, something about the road. You get behind a windshield and you become a different person. Am I wrong? Like there are some people that will do some things behind a windshield. They'll never do face-to-face with you. Shame on you, you know? Anyway, uh, look, sometimes when your boss passes you up for someone else, And that other person gets the job and they didn't deserve it, you deserved it, not them, you did. You can't tell me sometimes you're thinking in your mind, man, I hope you fail. I hope you fail, you know? Or some moments where a friend has betrayed you and they're not talking to you anymore and things are rough and they walked away and you're thinking in your mind, I hope you're miserable. Have you ever had that thought? We can murder someone in our minds and in our heart. Jesus said that's actually where murder starts. That's where it starts. So I heard uh, one guy say it this way. This is Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, one of my favorite guys to quote. We're going to have a couple of quotes from him today. He said, every idle word which we think so little of actually betrays our lack of respect for our neighbor. That's where it begins. Total disrespect for other people and lives around us that our hearts and our minds can go there. And it shows that we place ourselves on a pinnacle above him and value our own lives as higher than his. The angry word is a blow struck at our brother, a stab in the heart, and it seeks to hit, to hurt, and destroy. That's where murder starts. And Jesus is saying, let me, let me not tell you don't just murder. I want to deal with the root of the issue here because if you're like me... <laughs> you're human my guess is you've wrestled with some of this stuff too so one of my favorite pastors came up with seven signs you know you're wrestling with this this is what he wrote (laughs) i read this this week and i'm like crap you know this is me all right ready all right number one when you think someone's an idiot and you have no sympathy for them these are seven signs in increasing order that you know that you're struggling with the kind of anger that Jesus says actually is in danger of the fire of hell. When you hear something bad happen to them and you feel satisfied. You ever been there? Someone, someone wronged you, someone abused you, they went off and something bad happened to them, you're like, see, told you, told you, you had it coming. Number three, when someone does something to you and it irritates you so much more than if someone else did it. Like my kid can sometimes do something to me, but I love my kid, you know? Like they'll say something nasty to me, but I'm like, oh, you're just so cute, you know? You know, other moments, yeah, it, it gets a little dark, all right? But like if my, if my kid or my wife says something to me, like, I'm gonna give them the benefit of the doubt. But if I have a friend that I've been building up resentment in says something to me, even a little off color, It irritates me to no end. Why? Because there's some resentment and some anger going on in a negative direction. And we got to deal with the root of it, guys. Number four, when you sense coldness in relationships. That's when you know relationships are in disrepair. When you sense there's some coldness there, there's some tension. When you know you're avoiding a person, number five. You ever been there? You know you're avoiding someone. You've been avoiding someone and you know you're avoiding someone. Number six, when you pass negative information about that person to someone else, how do you feel better about it? You ever done that? I'm telling you, that is a slippery slope. That's a really slippery slope. There's so many moments where we can think, man, I just got to get this off my chest. I got to share this with somebody else just to get it off. And, and we justify it by saying, maybe I'm, maybe I'm a little wrong about this. I just wanna, I, w- I want to try to, you know... Uh, bounce it off someone else and see if, if I'm just really wrong in my mind or if I'm, I'm accurate. And deep down what we're doing is I want to pass off a negative, hurtful comment to someone else. About somebody else. And number seven. You know you're not speaking to each other anymore. And there's a lot of friction. Man, you guys ever had any one of those signs? I'm telling you right now, if you struggle with any one of those, you're on a dangerous path towards an anger that's going to rip you apart. And it's the kind of anger that is the seed for murder. Now I'm not saying if you're wrestling with that you're going to go out in the next couple weeks and murder somebody. But this is what Jesus is talking about. He wants to deal with the root of it and not just the external stuff. So if you've ever struggled with this, if you've ever had relational disrepair and maybe some distance, some coldness between you and someone else, the natural question is, well what do we do about it? Jesus is going to give us two tools now to wrestle with this and deal with it in a positive direction. You ready for this? Starting in verse 23. Therefore, if you are offering your gift, he's going to give you two practical scenarios, okay? And you've got to put yourself right back in the first century to understand this. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar back in the sacrificial temple system and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Second, settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taken you to court. Different image here. Do it while you're still together on the way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penalty. Jesus is going to give us two tools here. But the first thing that he wants us to understand is that we need to fix it right away. If you're sensing coldness in any one of your relationships, whether it's your marriage, whether it's a friendship, whether it's a a mom, daughter, or a dad, son, whatever it is, kind of relationship, Jesus says, it is so important that I want you to get at that and fix it right away. Don't let any time pass between when that coldness is sensed in your heart and your mind and when you're actually going to deal with it. Don't, don't let any time pass. Now, here's the crazy thing. The first scenario here is actually picturing someone going to the temple to offer something to God. Now, we might think, you know, leave your gift at the altar, first go and be reconciled. Maybe that person just lived around the corner, you know, from the temple. It wouldn't be that hard of a deal. Put it down. Or maybe someone was even in the temple and you can get it right, right then and there. The reality is... Most people traveled quite a distance to get to the temple when they offered sacrifices. Sometimes it would be a two or three day journey to get to the temple. And Jesus is saying, relational repair is more important to me than even that sacrifice that you journeyed three days for. Drop it now, go back and fix it. Whatever the cost, you fix that relationship. Because relational repair trumps religious activity Every time. Every time. In fact, uh, a prophet hundreds of years earlier, Micah, in uh, chapter 6, said this about what God prioritizes. you got to hear this. Relational repair trumps religious activity every single time. This is what Micah said. He said... With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings and calves a year old? Meaning, could I come with all this stuff that God said, man, come with these sacrifices and this is going to be pleasing to me? You know, what can I do to make sure that I'm awesome before God? Shall I, uh, will the Lord be pleased with a thousand rams, with ten thousand rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression? That never happened. Uh, It was always an awful thing, so don't think that that was actually something that God would ever condone. Uh, The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. And then it says this in verse 8. He has shown you, O mortal man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly? Think about this in the relational context. Religious activity versus relational repair. Ready? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. God values relationships more than your attendance on a Sunday morning. If you were to come here, even this morning, and you think, man, maybe I'm going to get good with God if I just showed up here. And you've got relational mess hanging over your head. Nothing of what you're doing right now matters to God. He would rather have you walk out right now and fix that than stay here. That's what Jesus is saying. Again, Dietrich Bonhoeffer puts it this way. God will not be separated from our brother. He wants no honor for himself so long as our brother is dishonored. If we have dishonored someone in our hearts, God's saying, man, it doesn't matter how good you are. I don't want to accept it. We put a barrier between us and others, and not just us and others, but actually between us and God. When we start hating someone around us, and we're in relational disrepair. Bonhoeffer said, we erect a barrier not only between uh, himself and his brother, but also between himself and God. He no longer has access to God. His sacrifice, his worship and prayer are not acceptable in God's sight. So, what are the tools? There's two tools for relational repair in this. You ready? First one is repent. Repent kind of a bible word. But Jesus in what he's saying here is he saying, "Man, if you if you have something that's messed up in a relationship, I want you to stop what you're doing. I want you to turn around. This is what repentance is. And I want you to head back in the direction where you need to fix something." Repentance involves at least 3 things. Full acceptance of the wrong that you've caused. You got to own it. Second, you got to ask for forgiveness. And the third is, man, you got to offer to make it right. So you got to own it, you got to ask for forgiveness, and you got to make it right. Now, uh, if you've ever had a kid that has done something wrong, there's two two real reactions for kids. There's a kid who's like, they got it wrong, and they're truly penitent and broken about it, and other kids that just don't want to get caught anymore. You know what I'm talking about? There's something where really like you bring it up, and you're like, you did that, didn't you? And they're like, yeah. Like, what do you say? Sorry. You ever heard that? We do the same thing, don't we, as adults? Well, sorry if that offended you. I mean, really, sorry if that offended you. That offended you. You know, we say that, and we say it in our minds, and we say it in our hearts. We do. We do. We get to this place where, and, and, and honestly, this is what we do every single time. When we're not truly sorry about what we've done. I don't care if the other person did 95% of the wrong and you did five. When we have that in our hearts and we say, sorry, that offended you. What we're doing is we're throwing a jab right back at them. And we're vilifying the other person. We're saying, I'm not really sorry. It's your fault. You're the idiot. We vilify the other person. And under, the, under this mask of forgiveness, we can still murder them in our hearts. Have you ever been there? Jesus is not saying that if you had 100% of the fault go and make it right with someone else. You notice what it said? If you're, if, if you're offering your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you. We could say anything. Anything. If someone's got something against you that you've done and and you need to make it right, even if it's small, I'm telling you, you got to own your 5%. Because the relationship matters more than being right. Every single time. God says relationships are my priority, not being right. And I don't care what it takes, I want you to get it right with someone else rather than being Right? Repair is better than being right. And so sometimes, even if you're only 5% wrong, Jesus is saying, I want you to own the 5%. I want you to own that. And I want you to stop what you're doing, and I want you to turn, and I want you to make it right with that other person. Now, it's tempting for us to think, well, I'll own my 5%. If they own the 95%, you know? If they, if they come to me first, yeah, I'll own it. But they messed up big, bro. I'm not not doing anything until they get it right. You know what Jesus said about that? It's always your move first. This is crazy, you ready? In this passage it says, if someone else has something against you, go to him. In Matthew chapter 18, you're going to have to read it yourself, but it actually brings up a scenario where uh, someone has sinned against you, and it still says, you go be the first one. Whether someone has sinned against you or you have sinned against them, it says it's your move. It's your move. Because relationships matter to God. More than being right, relational repair matters so much to God that it is always your move first. Always. Now the hard part about this is that repentance, I mean it just means we got to own something. And that's going to be hard. we got to own it. That never feels good, Right? I'm telling you, I'm like, maybe sometimes your kids even need to hear it from you. You need to model it to your kids. Like, if you've ever blown it with your kids or gotten too harsh or bitter or anything like that, it is so hard to get down on their level and say, man, daddy blew it. Sorry. Like, would you forgive me? But I'm telling you right now, you do that with your kids, it'll reshape how they interact with this relational repair for the rest of their life. If you got to own 5%, own that 5%. Now, when you ask for forgiveness... It necessarily entails another part of that, doesn't it? There's two tools to this relational repair. Repentance, you got to turn, stop, make it right, and do it right away. But then you also got to forgive. Now, here's the hard part about forgiveness. For some of us, man, we like to think about God being a forgiving God. That's a really fun thing for us to think about. Forgiveness is hard. Forgiveness is always incredibly costly, And that's what's so uh, amazing about this next uh, example that Jesus gives here. He says, man, when you're on your way to court with somebody... And you got some disputes there and you got to settle it right away. He says, like, do it while you're on the way to the court. What happens in court? You only go to court when there is a price, you know, some sort of a payment that has been missed, right? There's a relational cost in all of that. And what he's saying that is when you forgive someone, what you're doing is you're actually absorbing that cost. And you're saying, I'm not going to let you pay. I'm actually going to absorb that cost for you. I read this quote years ago, and it totally changed my mind about forgiveness. Tim Keller put it this way. Forgiveness means giving up the right to seek repayment from the one who harmed you. But it must be recognized that forgiveness is a form of voluntary suffering. To forgive is to cancel a debt by paying it or absorbing it yourself. Someone always pays every debt. Either you make the perpetrator suffer for it, or um, or you forgive and suffer for it yourself. Forgiveness, this is so powerful. Forgiveness is always extremely costly. We know it, guys. When we want to make someone pay, there's a couple ways we can do it. I mean, (laughs) we can beat them up physically, right? You know, maybe some of you, that's how you're bent. Like, you just want to pop them, you know. But for, for most of us in this room, we'd rather give them the cold shoulder. That's still making them pay, guys. I'm not talking to you. Like, you don't even exist in this room, you know? That's making someone pay. It's not forgiveness. The crazy thing is that forgiveness is incredibly costly, but it prioritizes relationships over being right. Relationship repair is always, always more important than being right. Now, here's a couple of practical things about forgiveness. You ready? Forgiveness always moves before it feels. If you're going to wait until you feel forgiveness in your heart, you're never going to forgive somebody. Never. Forgiveness also promises not to beat them up before other people. You've got a covenant today. If you hear nothing from today, my hope is that you walk out today covenanting in your heart that you will no longer ever beat someone up that you have a relational brokenness with, with somebody else. There's nothing more damaging than gossiping about somebody else to your own heart. Three, it promises not to beat them up in your own heart. (laughs) Covenant with God about that too. That you're not going to tear someone apart inside of your own heart. And then finally, it's a commitment to praying for that person. That's what forgiveness does. It always takes the first move. It absorbs that cost and it's a commitment to pray for that person. Now, the big question for us in all of this is why would we ever do this? Why would we ever do that? Forgiveness is so costly, man. Like, do you know what they did to me? I'm not going to let them get away with that. Of course I'm going to make them pay. Of course I'm going to give them the, the cold shoulder. Like, you have no idea what I've been through with that person. I can't talk to them. I can't make that right. I'm telling you right now, this is amazing. Jesus says get it right or do it while you're still together on the way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge the judge may hand you over to the officer and the officer may throw you into prison he says truly I tell you you're not going to get out until you pay the last penny forgiveness is extremely costly but unforgiveness is even costlier Because unforgiveness builds up resentment and bitterness and anger inside of our hearts that literally imprisons our soul. Literally imprisons our soul. If you've ever been in prison before, spent time in the slammer, uh, you know that it's not a fun place, okay? The food rations are subpar, the clothing you get is not super stylish, and the company is not exactly awesome, That's exactly what goes on inside of our heart when we choose not to forgive. It's an ugly place. Nelson Mandela, who knew apartheid in South Africa and the the bitterness and the resentment and the anger that tore apart his country for years and years and years. As he's reflecting on what resentment does to the human heart, this is what he said. Resentment is like drinking poison and waiting for your enemy to die. It eats you from the inside out. And Jesus is saying, man, I want to dig at that and root it out. I watched this this video, we're going to play it in just a second here, of a a woman who lost her son uh, to a gang shooting. She lost her son, she knew the killer, and the killer actually spent a number of years in prison. And her journey through this is absolutely transformative, but she had a crossroads at one point. Am I going to choose to forgive this person? Or we're going to choose to live with the kind of anger that wants to tear them apart. So, you guys throw that video up there.
1: Powers on Earth. It can change lives in an instant. Everyone has it. It's the power to forgive. Watch it now in action in Steve Hartman's Assignment America.
2: Mm-hmm. Thank you, Lord.
1: In a small apartment building in North Minneapolis, Thank a 59-year-old teacher's aide sings praise to God for no seemingly apparent reason. Indeed, if anyone was to have issues with the Lord, it would be Mary Johnson.
2: For all you've done for me. He never had a chance.
1: In February 1993, Mary's son, Loramian Bird was shot to death during an argument at a party. He was 20, and Mary's only child.
2: My son was gone.
1: The killer was a 16-year-old kid named O'Shea Israel.
2: I wanted justice. He was an animal. He deserved to be caged.
1: And he was. Tried as an adult and sentenced to 25 and a half years, O'Shea served 17 before being recently released. He now lives back in the old neighborhood, close to Mary. This close. He lives next door.
2: Next door.
1: How a convicted murderer ended up living a door jam away from his victim's mother is a story not of horrible misfortune, as you might expect, but of remarkable mercy. A few years ago, Mary asked if she could meet O'Shea here at Minnesota's Stillwater State Prison. As a devout Christian, she felt compelled to see if there was some way, if somehow, she could forgive her son's killer. What'd she say to you? I believe the first thing she said was, look, you don't know me, I don't know you, let's just start with right now. And I was befuddled myself. O'Shea says they met regularly after that. When he got out, she introduced him to her landlord, who, with Mary's blessing, invited O'Shea to move into the building. Today, they don't just live close, they are close. Clearly, Mary was able to forgive.
2: Unforgiveness is like cancer. It will eat you from the inside out. It's not about that other person. Me forgiving him does not diminish what he's done. Yes, he murdered my son, but the forgiveness is for me. It's for me.
1: For O'Shea, it hasn't been that easy. I haven't totally forgiven myself yet. I'm learning how to forgive myself, and I'm still growing towards, you know, trying to forgive myself and what it is I've done. To that end, O'Shea is now busy proving himself to himself. He works at a recycling plant by day and goes to college by night. He says he's determined to pay back Mary's clemency by contributing to society. In fact, he's already working on it, singing the praises of God and forgiveness at prisons, churches, to large audiences everywhere.
2: Forgiveness is a powerful thing. Which explains
1: why Mary can sing her praise of thanks to her audience of one. Steve Hartman, CBS News, Minneapolis.
2: For all you've done for me. You
0: catch this? Unforgiveness is like cancer. It will eat you from the inside out, she says. It's not about the other person. Me forgiven has not diminished what he's done. Yes, he murdered my son, but forgiveness is for me. It's for me. The only way that you can set your heart free from the bitterness and resentment of anger that's going to tear you apart and other people apart is through forgiveness. And the only way you can get to forgiveness is understanding that all of us, every single one of us, had amazing disrepair between us and God. And that we are sinners in need of a Savior and only by grace have we been saved. There was a moment where God, when when he knew that we had relational disrepair with him and he had done nothing wrong. Zero, And we had 100% of that wrong. God could have at that moment just said, well, see you later. I don't want to have anything to do with you. But no, man, he jumped into human history, into the person of his, his son. He gave his only son into the world. Just like she had only one son, God gave his only son so that he would live the life that we could not live in our place. And die the death that we needed to die so that we could have relational wholeness back with God. Jesus paid the full price. Yes, forgiveness is costly. Jesus paid it with his own blood and his own life so that you and I could be reconnected with our Heavenly Father. That's how much Jesus repairs relationships and prioritizes relationships. And only when we realize that we had that kind of debt with God and only through his forgiveness, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, only in that do we have the proper motivation to make it right with people around us. Do you understand what Jesus has done for you and the chasm that he bridged so that you could be right with God? He's inviting you into the journey today to make it right with other people. So, man, my question for you guys is like, man, who is that person in your life right now? Right now, who's that person in your mind and in your heart that you need to make it right with? What do you got to own? Even if it's 5%, you need to take the initiative. It's your move. What do you got to own? Can you ask for forgiveness? And then are you willing to actually say, man, I'm willing to take um, whatever cost it is, I'm willing to pay that price? Own your 5%. It's your move first because Jesus made his move first so that you and I can have a home with him forever. Could you imagine what our city would look like if every one of us did this relentlessly? If we did this in our workplace with our coworkers and our boss, if we did this in our marriages and with our kids. If we did this with our friends and we always said, man, it's my move. I'm going to own the 5% and make sure that I get it right because this relationship matters more to me than being right. Let's pray. God, let us be the kind of people who treasure relationships so much that we do whatever it takes, that even if it costs us big, even if it's super uncomfortable, that we would do what it takes to get right with other people around us, knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt what you did to get right with us. God, I pray that we know the freedom of repentance, of turning, immediately getting right with people around us. We know the freedom of forgiveness, God. And we would embrace the grace that you have so freely given us. We love you. Change as we pray in Jesus' name.
2: Stand and sing with it. castles crumble and breath is fleeting upon this rock I will stand upon this rock I will stand glory glory we have no other king but Jesus Lord bridge is the moment we get real. It says, in all my sorrows, Jesus is better. Make my heart believe. In every victory, Jesus is better. Make my heart believe. Not easy to do. Let's ask him for that. In all my sorrows.